simply hello. Maybe I should just say aloha to cover all possibilities. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Ian Castleberry. I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. If you've enjoyed what you've heard thus far or what you'll hear over the next 45 minutes or so, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. We'll have more on that later. Also, we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page. Please stop by and say hello. Hope you'll give us a like. That's at facebook.com slash thepodcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-S. The past weekend was disappointing sports-wise at Podcast HQ, so if you're not a fan of more sports content here, that might be good news for you. I'll probably be talking much less about Michigan or Detroit Lions football from here on out following their bad losses over the past weekend. Michigan lost to Penn State while the Lions were taken down by the Minnesota Vikings. Ugh. Neither team is worth the attention anymore, though both will still take up big chunks of my weekend. And I'm sure I'll talk more about Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh and the growing division among the Wolverines fan base about the job he's doing. But some other time. Maybe after Thanksgiving. Of course, we'll still have my baseball and football segments from Y Sports Radio. Those are a big part of the current podcast, but I've tried to set it up so you can work around those if they're not your favorite. This time around, though, we actually have three radio segments, two of which were unexpected when I was putting together this episode, which is why it's posted a day later than planned. Our friends from TSN 1260 in Edmonton checked in, wanting a World Series preview, and a Tuesday cancellation on Y Sports Radio opened up an opportunity to discuss a baseball story that could become a pretty big development for the sport. Let's begin with our chat on Canadian radio. If I'm hearing from Canadian friends Matthew Iwanek and Dave Jameson from TSN 1260 in Edmonton, something big must be happening on the baseball calendar. Sure enough, the World Series between the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros began Tuesday night. Besides looking at the matchup in which the Astros are heavily favored, Dave also highlighted a couple of players from each team to discuss. We also dug into the differences between Astros manager A.J. Hinch and Nats skipper Dave Martinez. But really, I'm most excited about running a radio clip with our Canadian friends because it gives me a chance to play some music from one of that country's greatest musical groups. What, did you think I was going to play Rush? Maybe I should have played Bayer Naked Ladies or Tragically Hip. But no, Glass Tiger! I didn't forget you when you're gone, guys. Okay, baseball talk. The World Series gets underway tomorrow. Houston Astros and the Washington Nationals joining us now, Ian Castleberry from WISC Sports Radio on the podcast. Ian, very little to choose from between these two teams, yet I'm going to ask you, Ian, what you know? how do you differentiate two very good baseball teams? I think the big difference is the bullpen. I think what the Nationals have done is really goes against what has constituted a successful postseason team and World Series champion for the past few years. Starters have been uh, somewhat diminished uh, in the postseason. You know, if they can go for maybe five innings, I think most managers consider that a victory and turning it over uh, to a strong bullpen. But the Nationals uh, have uh, tossed that formula aside. The strength of their team 
is starting pitching. Uh, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, and uh, Davey Martinez. I don't think he really trusts his bullpen, so he is really relying on his uh, ace starting pitchers to go seven, maybe even eight innings, and then turn it over to the only two relievers he really seems to trust in Sean Doolittle and Daniel Hudson. And the pitching has been so good that it's been a formula that's obviously worked very well for the Nationals thus far. Can you recall in recent memory where two teams meeting in the World Series can counter each other with starters of, you know, of this caliber, where, you know, on any given day you can trot out a, uh, a really superlative arm from either side? No, I, I can't. I mean, to, uh, especially uh, last season, you know, where, again, the starting pitcher uh, almost seemed uh, to be diminished. Uh, you know, we, we, we saw the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Tampa Bay Rays have some success, the Oakland Athletics, uh, with, uh, with a so-called opener uh, who could go maybe uh, two, three innings tops, uh, sometimes only one inning. But now, I mean, these uh, pitching matchups uh, for the first three games of this World Series, are outstanding. Uh, Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer, uh, Justin Verlander versus uh, Steven Strasburg, and uh, Zach Greinke versus Patrick Corbin. Really, uh, <laughs> the only if you could use the word disappointing, I, I think it would have been fun to see uh, former teammates Max Scherzer and uh, Justin Verlander go against each other uh, in game one or two. But uh, you're right, uh, the quality uh, of the starting pitching matchups, uh, it's, it's difficult to remember the last time two teams uh, really uh, formed kind of a clash of the titans in terms of starting pitching. Jose Altuve is, in my mind, uh, maybe if not the most entertaining baseball player to watch then, very close, and certainly in that conversation. Um, his his play and his role in the win over the New York Yankees, we know what that's like. Uh, what do you anticipate out of uh, this dynamic little player? And I hate using the term little, he's huge in stature. <laughs> but he is a little player. He you is, look at him yeah. and, you, and you you just uh, don't think he would do uh, the things that he does, especially when it comes to hitting big home runs off of uh, outstanding pitchers. You know, for him to uh, to crank a, an Aroldis Chapman pitch uh, for a walk-off home run, uh, you just don't typically see that from players of uh, Altuve's size. Uh, he's been outstanding uh, in this postseason, uh, batting three forty nine. OPS, uh, nearly 1,200 OPS, five home runs. I expect that to continue uh, in the World Series. If for no other reason than uh, the pitching, it doesn't seem to matter who he faces. You know, he, he, right now he's in that uh, that zone where he's just locked in. He can seemingly hit any pitch at any part of the strike zone, taking some pitches out that you might not expect uh, uh, from a player. Uh, of his stature, but uh, if the Astros go on to win uh, this World Series, I would be surprised if Jose Altuve isn't the Astros' most valuable player in that effort. Ian Castleberry joining us here, WISC Sports Radio, and the podcast is where you can hear his work covering Major League Baseball. Um, tell our listeners more about Juan Soto. Uh, it's not that he's an unknown by any stretch, but a 20-year-old outfielder for the Washington Nationals, and uh, I guess on a level he can kind of make you forget Bryce Har- Harper. Yeah, I think that's one reason why the Nationals were okay with letting uh, Bryce Harper go. Not to say that Juan Soto is necessarily as good a player as Bryce Harper, especially in terms of the all-around game. Juan Soto's uh, defense uh, probably uh, lacks something, uh, especially in comparison to Bryce Harper. But only 20 years old, he hit 34 home runs, 32 doubles uh, this season uh, for the Nationals. Uh, as we've seen also, uh, we saw in the uh, National League Divisional Series against the Dodgers, 
he does not shy away from the big moment. He he thrives on that, you know, hitting a big home run off Clayton Kershaw uh, in the later innings. Uh, I think he gives an energy to, to this Nationals team that maybe uh, it had lacked before. Bryce Harper showed a lot of uh, energy on the base paths, but you wondered sometimes how much of that was uh, kind of a show, uh, which uh, for a veteran team to have that sort of youthful enthusiasm, I think just uh, helps create uh, what's just a a really powerful mix among that team uh, in that clubhouse, uh, a powerful mix of personalities. A.J. Hinch has been there and won it before. Uh, Dave Martinez is uh, in the early stages of his managerial career, but a long uh, playing career in Major League Baseball. Uh, where do you sort of see that matchup? Um, Dave Martinez, uh, he's, I think he's really redeemed himself. I mean, I think early, earlier in this season, uh, certainly when the Nationals were 19-31, and 31, I think uh, many people could have rightly wondered if uh, he would finish the season as the Nationals manager, or at the very least, whether or not he was coming back next season. But I think he knows his team very well. He, he's a good communicator. I think he's, uh, for a team that doesn't really have many stars, or any stars, uh, if uh, you know you're looking at a Bryce Harper type player, I think he, he's communicated very well what everybody's role is. Uh, that you know anybody could be the star or, or come through with a big hit uh, or, or the big inning pitching wise uh, on a given night. I, I don't know if he's quite as uh, uh, analytically inclined uh, as AJ Hinch might be. Uh, certainly, that, that's his background going back to his days with Arizona. Uh, I think he he has a lot more pieces to work with in terms of the Astros roster top to bottom. I think he has a lot more pieces in terms of what he can bring off the bench, what he can bring out of the bullpen, uh, whereas uh, Dave Martinez has really uh, leaned, I think, heavily on a few guys for key contributions, and uh, they've made him look smart uh, this postseason. Ian, we will watch with interest, as I know you will be. Uh, Many thanks for your time today. Outstanding, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Ian Castleberry there. You can uh, catch him on the podcast and also on WISE Sports Radio uh, doing his thing. Uh, Ian is uh, real good at the baseball stuff. Credit to Dave Jameson, who just has a great voice. And with that accent, for zeroing in on Juan Soto as one of the players to discuss. The Nationals' young slugger, only 20 years old, broke Game 1 open with a two-run double in the fifth inning that gave Washington a 5-2 lead. In the previous inning, Soto hit a home run that tied the score at 2-2 and made the Astros' Garrett Cole look suddenly vulnerable. Cole had been nearly unhittable to this point in the postseason, but the Nats broke through against him. Only one game has been played, but that might be the key to this World Series. Welcome to Zombieland. Life is about more than just survival. We were a family. Dysfunctional, sure, but what family isn't? Merry Christmas! What would you like, little girl? I'd really like for you to stop calling me little girl. But do you know what I would like? I don't give a shit what you like. Okay, let's switch up to some movie talk. I was asked to review Zombieland Double Tap for this week's Mountain Express, Asheville's alternative news weekly. Having recently watched the first Zombieland, which had been bizarrely missing from my movies watched list for the past 10 years, and was thankfully available on Netflix and Amazon over the summer, the timing for this assignment felt pretty good. But obviously that had much more to do with Double Tap's release in theaters this past weekend. If you enjoyed the first Zombieland, as I did, you will almost certainly enjoy Zombieland Double Tap. Do you need to know much more than that? 
And if you haven't seen Zombieland, this sequel does a good job of getting you up to speed while the story keeps chugging along. Tastes and cultural trends can certainly change over a 10-year span, but zombies and post-apocalyptic settings remain popular. The genre is surprisingly resilient, maybe because it can be used to tell so many different kinds of stories. And Zombieland still feels fresh, despite being older than you probably remember, because of its approach to something that looked and felt familiar. The lighthearted tone, quippy dialogue, neurotic rules for survival, outlandish gore, clever video game and meme-type on-screen graphics, and likable characters with distinct personalities have all returned for this second go-round. Okay, time to nut up or shut up. That thing's very 2009. <laughs> Double Tap presumably picks up a few years after the first film. Ten years don't appear to have passed in this story. With Woody Harrelson's Tallahassee, Columbus, played by Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone's Wichita, and Little Rock, played by Abigail Breslin, hunkering down in the White House. Despite being abandoned, it's still the White House, and thus the safest place our gang can take shelter and call home. If you're new to Zombieland, everybody goes by the city where they were born instead of their real names to avoid personal connections to someone who's very likely to be eaten by the undead. As you might expect with four people being stuck together for a long time, everybody's getting a little sick of each other. Columbus and Wichita are still a couple, but are bored in their relationship. Tallahassee has wanderlust and wants to resume his lone wolf lifestyle driving around the country. And Little Rock is tired of being treated like the little kid, especially by Tallahassee's warped father figure, and wants to find people her age she can relate to. Everyone decides to go their separate ways, despite the obvious risks of venturing into Zombieland on their own, but Little Rock eventually ditches her older sister to run off with a hippie singer-songwriter poser and find a fabled zombieless sanctuary. That brings the other three back together to rescue Little Rock from near-certain annihilation. But just as the lead characters have evolved since the first movie, so have the zombies. The newest version of the undead predator is stronger, faster, and much more difficult to kill. Two shots, which is what Double Tap refers to, are no longer enough. No! That's my right! Oh, my apologies, little Elvis! Okay, is it me, or does, does he kind of remind you of... I don't, I don't like, like you. At, at all. all. I think you double parked. <laughs> or more perpendicular parked. Hope we don't get a ticket. What is going on here? What? Hello, everyone. Bye, hallucinating. To prevent this story from hitting the same beats and following the same path, writers Rhett Reese, Paul Wernick, and Dave Callahan introduced a handful of new characters. Madison, played by Zoe Deutsch, adds comic friction to the mix with her ditziness and lame-brained observations. She also creates tension as the third corner of a love triangle with Columbus and Wichita. Rosario Dawson's Nevada brings another hardened badass who's seen it all. Unfortunately, she doesn't have a big enough role in the story. We needed more of her bantering with the other characters and killing zombies with style. Yet Albuquerque, played by Luke Wilson and Thomas Middleditch's Flagstaff, as doppelgangers for Tallahassee and Columbus, is an amusing idea that goes nowhere. Maybe every group who survives needs that kind of bad boy, neurotic guy dynamic among them? I don't know what the point of that really was, other than the one-note joke of Luke Wilson's version of Tallahassee and Thomas Middleditch aping Columbus. Another joke that doesn't go anywhere is a recurring gag from the first Zombieland. 
The movie is 10 years old now, so I think the spoiler statute has passed. Bill Murray makes a surprise appearance with an extended cameo toward the end, and it's a funny scenario that gives a boost to the film. But even if I spoiled that for you, it doesn't matter here. Bringing up Murray again is an amusing reference to the first movie's biggest reveal, but the continuation of the joke isn't nearly as funny as the filmmakers think it is. It also goes on way too long, including a mid-credits scene. I doubt we'll see a Zombieland 3, so this gag will hopefully be retired. Good for Bill Murray, though. He probably got a nice paycheck out of it. As he said, drugs cost money. Ultimately, the real fun and reason for this sequel to be made comes from the fantastic foursome we fell for 10 years ago. The chemistry among Harrelson, Eisenberg, Stone, and Breslin is crackling and hilarious. Maybe they'll all reunite in another kind of film someday, but hopefully not another outlandish zombie comedy. We've gotten enough zombie land. Although I'm surprised the push for a TV series a couple years ago fell through. That might have been fun. Those characters and the movie's humor, along with the grisly, creative, fast-paced dispatching of zombies, all make this movie worth watching. Zombieland Double Tap gets 3 out of 5 stars from me. Let's take a quick break so I can ask you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You might have to search under my name, Ian Castleberry, C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y, until we get a few more shows in our archive. Also, please leave a rating, or even better, a review if you're so inspired. We can use the signal boost in that big Apple Podcast space. Any feedback you can offer is very much appreciated, and I don't take that time or effort for granted. The podcast is also available for listening, downloads, and subscriptions on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, iHeartRadio, and there's something called Himalaya now. I'll try to get on that if you use it. Oh, and TuneIn. Being on TuneIn means you should be able to listen to this on Amazon Echo, but Alexa can't quite pick up the difference between podcasts and podcast. Yeah, maybe I should have picked a different name. But you can still find us on the TuneIn app and website if that's how you like to listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and downloading. Back to baseball. We also previewed the World Series on Monday's Wise Sports Radio appearance. This one's not long because we were running short on time. Last week, guest host Jordan DeVere, filling in for the vacationing Pat Ryan, asked me for an early prediction, and I said the Astros would win in six games. Jordan gave me the opportunity to reconsider that pick. My rational mind still says Astros, but my heart, my gut, says Nationals. Hopefully that just means we get a great series. Ian Castleberry joins us. Our baseball and football guy. He's our do-it-all utility player, Ian Castleberry. Time to talk some baseball, buddy. How are you doing this morning? I mean, afternoon. I'm great. How are you guys? <laughs> oh, it's Good. a Monday. I can't tell if it's morning or afternoon. It's been pretty much gray all day. So let's. Oh, I made a rhyme too. Write that down, Charlie. All right, let's get started. The stage is finally set for the World Series. It's the Nationals and Astros. Now you picked the Astros in six last week on the show, Ian. Are you sticking with that? I am sticking with that, but boy, I, get, I mean, I just have a feeling about this Nationals team. But me I too. Just the, the, the logical side of me, you know, I look at the numbers, I look how the, the pitching staffs uh, are going to play out if this series goes seven games. And uh, I just think A.J. Hinch has a lot more pieces available on the Houston side, whereas Davey Martinez uh, has been getting some great performances and leaning on some uh, big-time performances from uh, Steven Strasburg and 
and the likes of uh, Howie Kendrick and Juan Soto. But I do wonder, especially with that one week break, if the Magic might have gone as far as it can, as far as it can take the Nationals. Well, it's like dealing with that analytical side, which you know you you want to pick the Astros, or the baseball gut side where you want to pick the Nationals. With so much great pitching in this, Ian, who do you think is going to be the ace of this series? Well, I don't think anybody's pitched better than Garrett Cole. It's uh, difficult to imagine anybody uh, in any postseason pitching as well as Garrett Cole. He's allowed only one run in 23 innings this postseason, 32 strikeouts over that same span, only 10 hits allowed. He's going to pitch uh, game one, which means he'll also pitch uh, game five most likely, and he'll probably be available in relief if there's a, a game seven. So uh, I think uh, until somebody beats him, uh, I I think he looks uh, about as close to unbeatable as we've seen in recent years. And I think he might be the edge uh, for the Astros in this World Series. And that leads right into the next question. Ian, who's your pick for World Series MVP? Well, I don't think I'm exactly going on on a limb here, but uh, Jose Altuve has had an outstanding postseason, batting .349, uh, uh, an OPS near 1,200, five home runs. He's not afraid of the big moment. Uh, you know, he's not intimidated by facing Aroldis Chapman in, in late innings. You know, here's a walk-off home run. We're going to the World Series. It seems like he can hit just about any pitch right now. He's got control of the strike zone. You know, he, he doesn't really seem to have a hole uh, in his swing. Uh, I expect that to keep up. Uh, you know, I, I just got done. Uh, well, he doesn't have to face Garrett Cole. They're on the same team. So, uh, so facing somebody like Steven Strasburg, uh, Max Scherzer, I think he'll step up in the moment. The Nationals don't have a very uh, intimidating bullpen other than uh, Daniel Hudson, so I don't see why uh, Jose Altuve won't continue his greatness uh, in the World Series. Your Major League Baseball update with Ian Casper is presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. One of my favorite visuals of Major League Baseball is Altuve standing next to Judd, and there's a foot difference between them. Uh, I think that's part of what (laughs) baseball is, you know. Let me ask you this, Ian. With the way things have come down, do you think more teams will start to be uh, to take the Nationals' approach to building a team, a bunch of gritty guys, some solid pitchers, decent hitting, without the guy, a.k.a. Bryce Harper? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, we, we may look in, in terms of uh, teams trying to build themselves without uh, a star player, you know, to have, say, six or seven very good players rather than, uh, you know, one star player surrounded by uh, just some guys. Um, I don't know if the Nationals overall model can be, can be duplicated, though, because you're talking about just some outstanding uh, starting pitchers. You know, they, they developed Steven Strasburg. He's a homegrown product, but they, they paid big in, in free agency uh, for Max Scherzer, for Patrick Corbin. I don't know how often teams are going to be able to replicate that uh, in terms of having a, a rotation, you know, with uh, three, maybe even four, if you can, uh, Annabelle Sanchez, four uh, pitchers that, that can carry a team through a postseason. And I just don't think uh, most teams uh, would be able to sustain themselves, not only uh, through the course of the regular season in winning the wild card, like the Washington Nationals did, but through the postseason without a bullpen. Uh, if yeah. the Nationals had a strong bullpen, maybe they would have uh, been a little closer and made a race of the NL East uh, with the Atlanta Braves. But as it is, they had to sneak in as a wild card. 
They did sneak in, but they've made some noise and upset my Dodgers. But it's fine, letting it go. The Yankees come up short also, and according to some stats that I saw, which is and I looked it up to, to, to confirm it, this is the first decade since the nineteen since nineteen ten in the nineteen twenty. The Yankees have not appeared in a World Series. Their last appearance was two thousand and nine. Crazy, Ian. Where did the Yankees go? They got tons of talent, but heading into an offseason where they came up short. I think they have to uh, make an investment in starting pitching. If you ask Yankees fans, they are very frustrated by this World Series because uh, there are two players in the Washington Nationals rotation who uh, Yankees fans think should have been in pinstripes had uh, Brian Cashman and Hal Brenner been uh, willing to spend some money uh, in Max Scherzer and uh, Patrick Corbin. I think they will go after Garrett Cole this offseason. He's going to be the top free agent available. Uh, Steven Strasburg, if he chooses to opt out of his contract, will also be available. Uh, there's other starting pitchers, uh, good ones that are available, Madison Bumgarner, Dallas Keuchel, uh, Hayujin Rayu, Zach Wheeler. Uh, there'll be even more uh, depending uh, if they uh, opt out of their contracts or if they're bought out of their current contracts by their team. But the Yankees definitely have to upgrade their starting pitching. And I think shortstop is also going to be a question for them going into the offseason. Didi Gregorius uh, is a free agent. Do they want to re-sign him, or do they want to go uh, pursue someone in trade? The, the first name uh, that comes to mind is Addison Russell from the Cubs, who I don't think really has a place there uh, in Wrigleyville anymore. Or, you know, do they take a home run swing and go for somebody like a Francisco Lindor, a Trevor Story? But uh, maybe the more sensible move is to move Glaber Torres to shortstop. Uh, they have D.J. LeMahieu at uh, second base and maybe go after a first baseman uh, like uh, Jose Abreu is going to be a free agent uh, from the Chicago White Sox. Oh, more power hitters just what the Yankees need. They don't need to get on base. Just hit the ball really, really far and really, really hard. Thank you so much, my man. Enjoy uh, hopefully a less gray Monday. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Take care, Ian. Take care, Ian. That's Ian Castleberry, our baseball and football guy. And your baseball update with Ian is brought to you by Vistanet Telecommunications. When we talked about the New York Yankees offseason agenda, I meant to mention that one of the reasons the Yankees haven't won a World Series this decade is because the revenue gap has shrunk between the Yankees and the other teams in baseball. Unlike the 1990s, when the Yankees earned more money from their cable TV contract than any other team, nearly every Major League Baseball club has a big local TV deal now, though the Yankees' reluctance to spend money on free agent talent like they used to is certainly a significant factor. And some bonus sports radio content from the Wise Guys. I was hoping we could discuss a report in Baseball America that said Major League Baseball had proposed eliminating 42 minor league teams going into an upcoming negotiation with minor league baseball. That would get rid of roughly one quarter of minor league teams and send more than 1,200 players looking for an opportunity elsewhere, probably with an independent team unaffiliated with a major league franchise. This could be huge, especially if you're in a town with a minor league baseball team. So Jordan had an opening on Tuesday's show due to another guest having to cancel and asked if I could talk about this report. He's a big baseball fan and we live in an area with a Class A minor league club in the Asheville Tourists. Not only that, but there are several other teams nearby in Greenville, Johnson City, and Kingsport. There are probably even more that I'm not remembering. 
I'll sheepishly admit that I was a little grumpy when Jordan asked if I could come on for an extra segment because Uncle Ian was planning a radio-free afternoon to do like anything else but prepare and set aside time in the schedule. But I'm glad he wanted to talk about this minor league story because it's a big deal. Ian Casper coming up next. Some bonus baseball powered by Vistanet Telecommunications. A huge story out of Major League Baseball, Charlie, and Minor League Baseball with the negotiations going on right now that basically is implying that there's going to be, well, basically 42 teams of Minor League Baseball that could potentially be eliminated. Let's bring on our expert, Ian Casper. Ian, how are you doing this afternoon, sir? I'm doing great, Jordan. How are you? Hey, Charlie. Hey, Ian. Oh man, I'm doing I'm doing well. I I'm not doing as well as I could be. I'm a little nervous about this uh, proposal being presented right now by Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Give us some insight. Yeah, it's a stunning uh, report. Uh, the the uh, agreement uh, it's called the Professional Baseball Agreement between uh, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball expires after uh, the 2020 season. And uh, Major League Baseball, as you mentioned, is currently proposing to eliminate. 42 minor league teams, which would put thousands of players out of work, anywhere between 1,200 to 1,400 players, uh, would reduce the number of teams overall from 160 uh, to 120. And that's just part of what is a larger overhaul uh, of the minor leagues and the classes involved, you know, like, like the Asheville Tourists are in uh, low class A. Teams could change levels or leagues. Uh, there's currently a, a proposal, uh, as part of this proposal, I should say, the South Atlantic League, in which the uh, Asheville Tourists uh, participate, uh, could be reduced uh, from 14 teams uh, to six teams, and we'll wow. go into that a, a little bit more later. And then, uh, so you're looking at 42 teams throughout the country possibly going out of business. Major League Baseball is proposing that these uh, unaffiliated clubs, they wouldn't be affiliated with a Major League franchise, would go into a so-called Dream League, which would be an independent league uh, with undrafted players. So they could still operate, but they just wouldn't uh, be affiliated uh, with a Major League team. They wouldn't receive teams from that a Major League uh, club drafted. And so all the expenses would then be back on the local team, correct? Yes. This is mostly a cost-cutting measure. How much of the expense would fall upon the club depends on what kind of shape it's in now or whether it moves up. Like if a team were to move, say, from low Class A up to AAA, that could cost a team upwards of $10 million. You know, If they are asked to improve their facilities, uh, whether it's the stadium itself or I, I think which is more of a concern for Major League Baseball and its parent clubs, upgrading the, the player facilities, the training facilities, even something like, you know, how many bathrooms are available uh, for players like that. But yes, it would uh, increase uh, presumably the financial burden on, on minor league teams. Wow, uh, this is amazing. Ian, some of the teams would be required to, to move up or drop down, single A, double A, triple A uh, kind of thing. Owners uh, of these teams aren't going to like that. You know, where are the positives in this deal? The positives would be uh, pay would increase for minor league players. Uh, that, that's kind of the dirty little secret. Maybe it's not a secret at all of how little minor league baseball players are actually paid. Yeah. Uh, some, you know, and we see some in Asheville, you know, our, our, our top draft picks uh, of the Colorado Rockies, you know, get their multi-million dollar signing bonuses and, and, and get uh, big salaries. But for the most part, 
the majority of uh, minor league rosters, uh, those players are paid below minimum wage. They're not allowed to work during the season. Uh, you know, they have to work out uh, in the off season, which affects their ability to get uh, certain jobs. So by eliminating uh, these other 42 teams, Major League Baseball is saying there will be more money to increase the pay of the remaining minor league players. Uh, uh, reportedly, uh, the minimum salary would uh, be raised uh, 50%. Well, I mean, that's uh, kind of smoke and mirrors right there by Major League Baseball. We're catching up with Ian Castleberry, presented by Vista Telecommunications, making telecom easy here in Asheville for the past seven years. They bring you the latest in business phone technology and teach you how to use it. Call today for a no-obligation needs analysis and demo at 828-348-5366. Ian, this seems pretty fishy by Major League Baseball, and to try to pull one real quick over minor league baseball players and major league baseball players, cutting back the number of players that there are in the organization, will the Players Association, will the union go for this? I don't feel like they will. I don't think they will because we're talking about minor league players as opposed to uh, uh, major league players. Uh, you know, The argument probably will be that those players could still have employment in minor league baseball, it would just be uh, in, the, in an independent league, uh, you know, maybe with one of these dream league teams, which is just such a, a cruel name almost, uh, dream league. The jobs would still presumably be there, but, you know, I, I think everybody would say that it, it's far better and more lucrative and, and the chance of employment and promotion and uh, better pay is far better that if, if you're with a minor league club that's affiliated which, with a major league team and you have a chance to advance, you know, from uh, Class A up to Double A and, and, you know, hopefully, ideally, uh, up to the major league someday. Now, Ian, do you believe the Asheville tourists would potentially be affected by this deal if it is ratified? I don't think they would be affected in a bad way. Um, obviously, you know, we're speculating. We haven't talked to anybody from the Asheville tourists. You know, maybe we can, or maybe someone from Nashville Citizen Times can, but uh, I don't think the Nashville tourists have to worry about uh, being eliminated from the minor leagues, for instance. Uh, you know, the team set an attendance record this past season with nearly, uh, you know, 190,000 fans. Uh, they set a record uh, in 2017 as well. So setting two attendance records in the past three years speaks to the popularity uh, uh, and the, the good business uh, of the Asheville tourists. Uh, I don't think they would move up from Class A to, you know, Double uh, A AA or Triple A. That might depend on how Asheville is viewed on the open market. Like, is, is uh, the Asheville tourist team with McCormick Field, the attendance it draws, the market uh, of Asheville, is that worth more uh, than, say, uh, you know, a Double A team uh, in a market that doesn't draw as many fans or doesn't have as good uh, facilities uh, and so forth? Uh, I think the big question, well, two big questions. I think one is whether or not the Asheville Tourists would stay in the South Atlantic League. Uh, one of the the uh, uh, casualties, if you will, or, or changes that would be part of this proposal, as I mentioned, is that the Sally League would be cut to six teams from its current 14, and then a new Mid-Atlantic League would launch from there. So would the Tourists stay uh, in the South Atlantic League, you know, maybe with the Greenville, Rome, Augusta, Columbia and Charleston, uh, or, you know, would, would Asheville or, say, Kannapolis move to this new uh, Mid-Atlantic League, you know, uh, which would be mostly be teams north of Asheville, Lex- Lexington, uh, West Virginia, Lake- Lakewood, Hagerstown, uh, etc. And maybe the biggest change physically would be if Major League Baseball or uh, the Colorado Rockies decide 
that the training facilities uh, for the tourists at McCormick Field need to be upgraded or if the tourists' affiliation with a major league team changes. But I don't think we have to worry about uh, the Asheville tourists uh, no longer being affiliated uh, with minor league, officially with minor league baseball. Well, I feel a lot better. Even though you're just speculating, I do feel a lot better. All right, Charlie, next one. Hey, Ian, do you see a strike happening between uh, players in major league baseball? It seems we're heading in that direction. Yeah, we definitely are headed in that direction. We've seen the last two off seasons. Free agency has just been uh, a wasteland for the majority of players uh, on the open market. Even uh, you know the the top notch players, uh, you know the Bryce Harpers, the Manny Machados, uh, are having to wait well into February, maybe even to March, uh, before they can get their uh, their lucrative deals. But if, if you're a player, especially over the age of thirty, uh, looking for a deal. Uh, they, they just don't exist right now. Uh, uh, the conditions uh, it, on the open market uh, and, and how major league play, major league teams, excuse me, are running their business in terms of uh, uh, making a, a fair work environment for their players, uh, I think is highly uh, in dispute. And I think we are definitely headed to a strike or some sort of work stoppage uh, when the collective bargaining agreement expires. Now, with the strike included, this really doesn't seem like a good way to grow the game, Ian. What does baseball hope to achieve in the overall growth of the game by eliminating teams and the ability to, to, to get, you know, one-on-one interaction with fans? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, baseball, you could argue, is dwindling in popularity nationally. But regionally and on the minor league level, it's thriving. Now, if there are some minor league teams that are not thriving, you know, that are struggling in attendance, uh, you know, that have uh, outdated or, or deteriorating facilities, then, uh, you know, I think even minor league baseball itself is, is looking at maybe eliminating uh, some of those, those teams. But overall, I think uh, Major League Baseball sees the benefit as increasing minor league player pay overall and improving facilities uh, for developing players, uh, you know, again, whether it's training or lodging or even something like uh, bathrooms. Maybe uh, geographical alignment uh, would be another benefit, you know, uh, if uh, these leagues are, are changed so that, you know, teams are geographically close to each other, uh, reducing the travel costs, uh, maybe that applies as well. To uh, the major league clubs, you know, like like uh, the Atlanta Braves, for instance, are in a, a fortuitous situation where all their minor league teams are within uh, a pretty close distance of Atlanta. Uh, so I think those are the main factors that Major League Baseball sees in you know the the benefits that would come from this proposal. We've talked about how to grow the game or at least how to change the branding of it. Major League Baseball says this deals to get stadiums improved for its players, but it seems like Major League Baseball really does not want to pay the younger players. What's your thoughts on that, Ian? Yeah, that's been a huge problem. And if this proposal is uh, meant to, to pay minor league baseball players more, then I, I think that's a good thing. But as Jordan points out, you are paying these players more at the expense of, you know, possibly 1,200 to 14 other, 1,400 other players uh, who suddenly are, are kicked out of, uh, of minor league baseball and have to play in independent leagues and, you know, most likely won't make much uh, money doing it. But, uh, yeah, yeah uh, pay, paying uh, younger players more, uh, you know, I think if there is a strike, I think, you know, we are going to look at, whether you know how long uh, before uh, uh, you know players right now have six years before they go to arbitration, then they have three years 
uh, of arbitration before they hit free agency. So you're looking at nine, ten years before they can get a, a free agent contract. Uh, so that's great for the Major League Baseball clubs. They can keep costs down. Not so good for the players, especially if they hit free agency, you know, say at age 30 and they've already had their best seasons and you're paying either for past performance or what you think they'll do uh, from the age 30 on, which uh, typically players don't do well. Uh, they're past their prime already by the time they hit free agency. So, yeah, increasing uh, the pay for, for uh, minor league players and really just increasing the profile of players in general. I still think, you know, we, we talk about this uh, frequently throughout the, the regular season. Baseball just does such a poor job of promoting its oh stars gosh, so compared true. to the NBA and the NFL. It's awful. I mean, Mike Trout is so boring, but even if he wasn't boring, they don't promote him at all. Bryce Harper self-promotes, but he's not good enough now to be self-promoting. You couldn't, I mean, that's, it's just a huge problem. And it wasn't always like this, but it's been that way for the past 15 years. And it really hasn't changed. And they've got a lot of old attitudes in Major League Baseball in the commissioner's office. And this is part of that. Instead of paying people, why don't we just cut costs, pay them less, and yet somehow keep churning out the same product? It, it, it won't, it'll end up hurting the game on the field in the long run as well. Even this World Series, I mean, uh, baseball should be promoting, uh, you know, this is a, Presley has an historic pitching matchup. You know, you have yeah. five to six of the best starting pitchers in baseball on two teams facing each other. That's the reason to tune in, and baseball should really be pushing that and, and encouraging its partners, notably Fox, uh, to push the fact that they are going to see some of the best pitchers uh, in baseball, and you just don't see that, uh, you know, on TV, online, uh, in print, where have you. And they don't do any sort of insight pieces. Pieces You don't get to know these pitchers. You don't get to know the hitters. You don't get to know the managers. You don't get to know anybody unless you're like a diehard fan of a certain team where you watch all the inside stuff the team does itself. Major League Baseball doesn't promote the personalities. I mean, some of the... Verlander's kind of a weird dude. They don't talk about it. Jose Altuve is <laughs> a great person. They Unless you search it yourself, baseball doesn't talk about it. No, you're putting it on uh, the publications, you know, like like the hometown papers, the Houston Chronicle, uh, the Washington Post, or, or you know, the the Athletic. Uh, as you said, uh, Major League Baseball itself, uh, with the writers that they have covering the team, to find the stories uh, and the pr to promote the game. Now, what's annoying is that baseball itself will point to the player. Like, that, that was one of their arguments with Mike Trout. Oh, Mike Trout, you know, he doesn't want to do these things that uh, we want we ask him to do to help promote the game. Okay, so Mike Trout doesn't want to do all these commercials. He doesn't want to do these uh, uh, skits or, or social media things that you want to set up. But you can still promote the player. Show what a you know generational talent Mike Trout is, both hitting the ball and, 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 and in the field. You know, what makes baseball such a fun game to watch? Why these are you know singular athletes that are worth your time to watch on television or to go see in person. Right, or make fun of him and be like, man, he's so socially awkward for someone who's so rich <laughs> right. and so good, and he's or he's lame and just doesn't want to be social because he doesn't like anybody. I mean, do something funny and then be like, well, instead we have Bryce Harper. He's kind of a jerk, but he's willing to do the stuff that we want him to do, and so, bam, he's out here. Do something fun or funny. It wouldn't be that hard to do, and they don't really do it. They put the onus on the player, like you said, and it is on the player to grow their own brand, to sell products, to do all that fun stuff, endorsements, yada, 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 all that stuff. But when it comes to growing the game, baseball does a horrible, horrible job of it. And the way they telecast the games, they don't do a great job. It should be kind of like NASCAR with the inside thing for the, the commercials. There shouldn't be these huge warm-ups and breaks between innings. Those need to go away. 
It's the only sport you get to warm up before you come into the game. And you shouldn't, that just shouldn't be the case anymore. Yeah, you need to move the game along faster. Uh, you know, the television, they, they settle for what Fox does with, with them. I, I really wish, uh, you know, uh, Major League Baseball would get a chance to open it up and see what other networks, you know, like what if NBC, who, you know, they have Sunday night uh, uh, football, they have a, a Premier League uh, and a European soccer, but what if they had baseball? Would they do a better job of promoting it than, say, Fox, who, you know, now it's just a, a part of Fox's overall package. They have just about uh, everything else, and baseball is just a part of that. But even just on a, on a more local team level, I think, uh, you know, th- th- going back to what we were saying about minor league baseball, these teams can do a better job of promoting who they have in the minor leagues. Like, okay, especially if you're a team that's rebuilding and you're saying, okay, the major league club doesn't look so good right now, but, you know, two, three years ago, Atlanta could say, for instance, the Atlanta Braves could say, hey, we have this hot uh, young prospect, Ronald Acuna, we have Ozzy Albies in the major leagues, they're going to come up here and you're going to want to be a part of this uh, when it happens. Of course, the risk is they could trade some of those prospects, but <laughs> right. you want to generate excitement for the future product uh, as well as the present. Exactly. And we'll get you out of here on this, Ian. This is Ian with a bonus coverage. Ian Casper, our baseball and football guy covering baseball right now. Bonus baseball coverage. Game one of the World Series coming up tonight. And uh, our, our catch-up with Ian Casper is powered by Vistanet Telecommunications. Ian, in your opinion, what's the best solution for both sides, uh, including this minor league baseball deal and the players' union and major league baseball? Well, the easy thing is just to increase the pay of minor league players. I mean, that should be my thoughts exactly. And and yes, maybe there are some clubs that that should be eliminated. Again, you know, if they're not drawing, if they have outdated facilities, etc. But does it need to be as many as forty-two? Maybe it does, but does it have to be forty-two at all at once? You know, maybe over this is something that could happen over, you know, a six, eight, ten year span uh, rather than just uh, dropping the hammer uh, all at once. Right. And I I agree with you entirely. Or maybe look at expanding and getting, you know, take. All right. We're going to get rid of 20 teams and we're going to replace it with 15 teams in cities. We think will do a better job supporting minor league baseball. We're going to invest in the infrastructure and getting ownership groups involved. Maybe that's a solution. That's a great point. I mean, what, which markets are being underserved? Uh, you know, which markets want or would benefit uh, from minor league baseball? That would come out to support the team that don't currently have a team because either one's not available, or you know, minor league baseball or major league baseball has made it difficult to get in the club, so to speak. Or you could also just you know move a major league baseball team to Charlotte, and there you go, boom, done, <laughs> fixed, boom. So many people think baseball's so big money because they'll see $100 million contracts, but they don't realize that minor league players are making less than a living wage. Dirt. There's a chance that you're sitting there at the Asheville Tourist game. You know, you might be making, there's a good chance you're making more than the guy playing second base. You know, that's the way it is. Well, it's not the way it should be, at least anymore, and hopefully that instead of eliminating 1,400 jobs or so, they'll uh, keep 1,400 jobs and just, you know, pay everybody like they're supposed to be paid. Ian, Great stuff, man. Thank you for pinch hitting for some bonus content. Just had to dive into that story and make that the main focus. We'll recap game one tomorrow, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. All right. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks uh, for uh, having the opportunity to discuss this story because, yeah, I think it, I think it's a pretty big deal. It is a huge deal. Baseball's done a great job in burying it, but need to be talked about. All right. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you, Charlie. Great talking to you. Thanks, Ian. That's Ian Castleberry, our baseball guy, presented by Vista Telecommunications. Okay, that's the podcast. 
We're also on Instagram at The Podcasts, or you can reach out to me personally on Twitter at Ian Cass. That's I-A-N-C-A-S-S. You can also find my current work at iancastleberry.com. Any feedback you can offer, good or bad, is very much appreciated. Let us know what you like or don't like or would like to hear. Hope you didn't mind the extra sports talk. Normally, we would have just had the one baseball segment. But hey, it's World Series time, so maybe that should have been expected. There are people who believe that this world is fair and good. It's all lollipops and rainbows. We don't do lollipops and rainbows. Because we know those are pretty colors that just hide what the world really is. Black and white. Next time out, we'll talk about the first episode of HBO's Watchmen, which is a show that's going to provoke a lot of discussion about alternate history, current events in our country, the effects of vigilantes and superheroes, and perhaps most importantly, racism and white supremacy. It's a loaded series, addressing some bold subjects, which is probably more than anybody would have expected from a sequel to a 30-year-old comic book series and 10-year-old movie. Until then... Bloomberg just reported that we have a bigger supply of uneaten bacon than we've seen in nearly 50 years. Bacon! Isn't everyone eating that stuff? It's even in ice cream now. How did this happen? Just give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Wait, wait. I worry what you just heard was, give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Do you understand? Go eat some more bacon, people. Okay, maybe not too much. Watch your cholesterol. But enough to contribute to the effort. Unless you're vegetarian or vegan, of course. But if you want to eat some veggie bacon in the spirit of camaraderie, that's cool. Cool.